Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. Get smarter about things like saving on travel, because spending less on airfare means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancier dinner, too. Boosting your credit score, since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. And saving for an emergency fund, because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. The Peter Schiff Show. Well, Janet Yellen was up on the Hill today for the first of her two-day testimony before Congress. And remember, I said that the only way that Janet Yellen was going to stop the market from falling was to capitulate and at least admit that the Fed was going to alter its trajectory uh, that it telegraphed earlier of four rate hikes in 2016. And she didn't do that. And as a result, the stock market failed to sustain its early morning gains. You know, the Dow was up better than 100 points, closed near the low of the day, down 99.64. The Nasdaq, which was up about 100 points earlier in the day, or maybe not quite 80 or 90, it closed on the low of the day approximately only up about $14, uh, I mean, 14 points on the day. It was the opposite for gold. Gold was actually down this morning before Yellen spoke. It was down around 1180-ish on the lows. We closed up eight bucks on the high of the day, uh, 1197. Again, knocking on the door of 1200. In fact, the gold stocks were clobbered this morning, and they closed positive. The gold index was up about two, two and a half percent. It was down four percent earlier. Uh, when gold was down, although by the time the stock market opened, gold wasn't down eight bucks anymore. I think it was only down about two or three. Uh, yet gold stocks were clobbered. Maybe it's still the overhang from Goldman Sachs coming out yesterday and predicting that gold would fall to below a thousand dollars an ounce in, uh, I think, even 2016. That probably means that Goldman Sachs is short a bunch of gold and they want to cover or they just need to buy. And so they're trying to convince the Muppets who actually pay attention to what they say. Uh, to sell their gold to them. But Janet Yellen, when she spoke, basically continued with the narrative that everything is okay, right? The economy is fine. The recovery is on track. Yes, she acknowledged some headwinds, right? Growth was a little bit slower at the end of last year than they thought, but no big deal. There are some problems overseas that they're monitoring, there are some financial tightening. You know, overseas markets are weak. Domestic markets are weak. Yes, the Fed is paying attention, all that. But so far, from their perspective, everything is fine. Everything is on track. The recovery is still moving along. The labor market is strong. Despite the fact that there's no improvement in labor force participation, there's no improvement in the people who are working part-time, working full-time instead. There's no real wage growth other than that bump we got from the minimum wage hike. But despite all that, Janet Yellen is still maintaining that everything looks good, that the recovery is on track, will overcome these headwinds. That is her most likely scenario. She did acknowledge that you know, monetary policy is not fixed, right? The trajectory is not set in stone, that the Fed will monitor incoming data. And if the data evolves in a manner that they don't expect, right, if the economy is weaker than they expect, maybe if the markets are much weaker than they expect, 
then yes, they might not raise interest rates as much as they believe they're going to raise them. But as far as the Fed is concerned, based on all the data they have now, right, their most likely scenario is that everything is fine, which means the markets are going to keep falling. I mean, it's almost ironic that Yellen would say, well, the markets are weak. And, you know, I guess if they stay weak, then we might have to adjust our monetary policy. Well, that means the markets are going to stay weak, right? Because it's like, you know, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. Because she's saying, if the markets keep going down, well, then we might not raise rates. But if they stay where we are, I guess we can raise them. Well, if that's the case, they won't stay where they are. Because if they raise them, the markets are going to fall. The only way to stop the markets from falling is for the markets to know that rates aren't going up. But in fact, I think it's more than that. I think it's not just the absence of rate hikes. This market needs more QE. This market needs a rate cut. This bubble is too big to be sustained with the mere absence of a rate cut. Like I've said before, it's like when you have an addiction to a drug, you need your full dosage. uh, Otherwise, you're going into convulsions. We need all the drugs that the economy is accustomed to. The, The Fed has dialed back the dosage, and now we're hemorrhaging. We're going into withdrawal. And, and so they're going to have to do uh, more stimulus to stop this market from falling. And I think they're going to do it. And, you know, I was watching the interview with Jim Grant today on CNBC. Great interview. And he was basically saying all the things I'm saying. He said we're already in a recession right now. He's confident that it began uh, at the end of last year, just like me. And he thinks the Fed's going to do more QE. He thinks the Fed's going to go to zero. He thinks they might go negative. He thinks they're going to do all sorts of crazy things. Because it is crazy. And in fact, you know, one of the things that happened in Janet Yellen's testimony is she was asked about negative rates because apparently the Fed had considered it back in 2010 and they rejected it. And she was asked if they can even do it legally, if the Fed was even authorized by its mandate to have negative rates. And, and Yellen basically said, well, there's no, to my knowledge, there's nothing that legally prevents us from doing it. She wasn't sure. She hadn't thoroughly checked it out. But obviously, she had thought about it a little bit because she said, from her knowledge, there's nothing that would prevent us from doing it. But of course, the fact that the Fed is considering it and talking about it means they're going to do it. Because if they weren't going to do it, they would at least reject it out of hand. I mean, they should come out and say, of course, we're not going to take rates negative. That would be a horrible thing to do because it is horrible. Do you think negative rates are working in Europe? They're backfiring in Europe. They're not working in Japan. They don't work anywhere. It's a desperate attempt to try to lower rates once you've got to zero. And in fact, one of the other things that Yellen said, because one of the congressmen said, well, you know, if we have a recession, which the Fed thinks is unlikely and rates are so low, how do you lower them? And one of her answers was, well, we can lower rates with forward guidance. See, we bring rates down to zero and then we just say we're going to keep them there forever. Right. And that's like an additional stimulus because now people don't have to worry about when rates might go up. But we've already had that. That's not going to that's not going to do anything. But all of this positive talk from Janet Yellen is exactly what the market doesn't want to hear. And as much as so many people want to pretend that the rate hikes have nothing to do with this market sell off, they have everything to do with the market sell off because the cheap money was the only reason the markets went up in the first place. You know, remember my, you know, the joke that I was saying is you can't pull the table out from under the cloth and expect the cloth and the dishes to stay levitated in in midair. The table was the cheap money and the QE. The Fed yanked it away. Everything's coming crashing down until they try to slide that table back under back under those dishes, if that's even something that they could do. But I want to go over 
some of the things that were said and some of the questions that were asked today in uh, in Congress. I mean, first of all, one of the things that Janet Yellen said in describing the Fed's mission, she told Congress that the Fed's mission was she had a dual mandate, right, to main, you know to maintain employment, maximum employment, and uh, to maintain two percent inflation. That's her mandate. According to Janet Yellen, the Fed's mandate is 2% inflation. Now, where did that mandate come from? Because that's not the mandate. The mandate is to maintain price stability. But Janet Yellen has taken upon herself, you know, kind of like an executive order, Obama style, only from the Fed, to define price stability as 2% inflation. But that's not price stability. That's the opposite of price stability. That's rising prices. If Janet Yellen really believes that her mission is to maintain a 2% annual inflation rate, then her mission is to prevent price stability. Her mission is to keep prices from being stable. Because if prices go up 2% every year, they're not stable. They're going up. So Janet Yellen has actually turned her actual mission on its head. She has redefined her mission to the opposite of that, to defeat her very mission. And nobody really says anything about it. I mean, everybody just accepts this, you know, you know, orange is the new black, whatever, that 2% prices going up 2% every year is the new stable. Believe me, there's nothing stable about that level of, of price increases. But also, one of the most interesting, I thought, aspects of the Q&A was the questions that she was being asked from the black congressmen and women who were questioning her. Every single black congressperson asked Janet Yellen specifically about what she's going to do to help the black community, right? Not the country, the black community. Mostly the questions were about the higher rates of unemployment that are being experienced uh, among African-Americans. That was, that was, the question is, and one guy particularly talked about males, young black men, and their very high unemployment, and basically asking, what is the Fed going to do about that? And is the Fed considering the high unemployment rate in the African American community when they're making monetary policy? Because this, the congressmen were saying, look, yes, there is a low rate of unemployment, but a lot of people are not experiencing that. In the African American community, he said, we don't have low unemployment, we have much higher unemployment. And so are you considering this? And these questions are all ridiculous because how could she possibly consider the racial makeup of who's employed and who's not unemployed? I mean, monetary policy, assuming that it can even create jobs, which it can't, right? The Federal Reserve does not create jobs uh, by lowering interest rates or printing money. But assuming that you believe that they can, how could they target those jobs to a particular ethnic group? Right. I mean, the the Fed can't say, well, yes, there's unemployment is low, but it's high in this one group. It doesn't matter about a group. What matters is the overall level of unemployment. If you're believing in the Phillips curve and you think, well, you know, unemployment can only go a certain level and then we have to you know, raise rates because there might be inflation. You can't make an exception for a subset of the population and say, well, because uh, uh, blacks have a higher unemployment rate than whites. We're going to o- we're going to ignore the overall unemployment rate and just, you know, 
and not raise rates when it's appropriate? I mean, it's sheer nonsense uh, to even ask a question like that and expect the Federal Reserve to somehow be able to micromanage and tailor its monetary policy to an ethnic group. Like the Fed is supposed to say, yeah, you know, there's a lot of unemployment in young, among young black men. Let's do something about that. What are they going to do? They're going to, you know, are they going to launch a new QE and somehow say that, you know, it's going to be directed like a laser beam? I mean, how are they going to focus that new money to the black community? You know, if if how are they going to make sure that somebody who hires somebody ends up hiring somebody who's black when all they can do is print money? That's all the Fed does. Right. They lower interest rates. They raise interest rates. They buy bonds. They sell bonds. They expand the balance sheet. They contract it. That's what they do. Right. How is that going to affect the, the black community. Now, I mean, could they maybe they can regulate banks differently uh, and, and encourage them to make loans uh, to black borrowers? Well, we, we've done that before. We saw what a disaster that was. I mean, we don't want loans extended to people based on their race. We want loans going to people that can actually pay the money back. We want credit to be uh, what allocates uh, loans, not your ethnic group. Not, oh, this person happens to be a member of a certain group, so let's lend this person money, even if they have no prayer of paying it back. I mean, why would we want the Federal Reserve doing that? You know, one of the black congressmen, I don't, I don't know his name, but one guy was upset because there were no blacks who were uh, presidents of any of the Federal Reserve banks. I didn't even know that. I mean, but I guess, yeah, I never really thought about it, but apparently there aren't any. And I think he might have said there's never been one, which I don't know, maybe that is the case. I, I don't know. Uh, but he was upset by this because he said, how do you expect blacks to benefit from what the Fed is doing if we're not even represented? We don't have a seat at the table. I mean, assuming then that if you have if there was a black guy or woman that was a president of one of these banks, that that individual would 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 act differently because they were a ra- of their race, that somehow a black banker is going to make different decisions than a white banker and that somehow those decisions are going to benefit the black community, whereas the decisions that are made by the white banker won't. I mean, think about how racist a statement like that is, right? That in order to do things that will benefit blacks, you have to be black yourself. If you happen to be white, then it's impossible for you to do something that benefit blacks because only blacks can do things that benefit blacks. Now, I wonder, can blacks do things that benefit whites, or are they stuck too? Can black bankers only benefit, you know, black Americans and not white Americans? The whole thing is nonsense. It doesn't matter what race you are. I mean, the Fed is incompetent, not because of their race. Look, Janet Yellen is a woman. We got a female chairman of the Federal Reserve, but she's still, it's a disaster. She's, She's doing a horrible job. The fact that she's a woman doesn't make her any better. And of course, you know, her monetary policy isn't more friendly. Remember, I went over this where, you know, initially when Janet Yellen was appointed, there was a lot of people that were saying this is going to be great for women, you know, going to have a woman's touch. You know, she's going to do things differently. I was like, how is she going to do things differently to believe that her decisions are going to be better because they're being made by a woman than when they were made by a man? Again, that was very that was sexist to just assume that anything about what she does is going to be affected by her gender rather than her competence, rather than, uh, you know, her intelligence. And the fact of the matter is she's making the same horrible mistakes that Ben Bernanke made. So it doesn't matter whether you're a man or a woman, you're still capable of screwing up the country uh, with bad monetary policy. And I'm sure if we had more blacks 
that were presidents of these Federal Reserve banks, they'd be doing just as lousy a job as the whites. But none of it is going to change the unemployment rate in the African-American community. That is the biggest irony. You know what is responsible for the high rate of unemployment in the African-American community? The Congress, the people asking the Fed to solve a problem that they created and the Fed can't solve, only they can do it. Why are so many young black men unemployed? Because Congress was dumb enough to pass the minimum wage. That's why. You know, Congress is also complaining about oh, how many blacks are in jail. Fine. Decriminalize uh, uh, these drugs that are responsible for so many people being in jail and get rid of the minimum wage so they can get legitimate jobs. I mean, the government makes it so the only way you can get a job in some cases is if it's illegal. You have to work in the drug industry because it, the government passes laws making it impossible to be employed anyplace else. Now, that is the problem or reform the, the welfare state, you know, that traps people in poverty. You know, these these programs are coming from Congress. They're not they're not coming from the Federal Reserve or get rid of all these laws against discrimination. So small employers aren't punished uh, for hiring minorities. So small employers aren't scared to death to hire a minority because they don't want to get sued. I mean, make it easier uh, for businesses to hire young black men, make it easier for young black men to get a job, to offer their services, to learn on the job, to get training. Right. And also, what about what about the schools that a lot of these kids are trapped in? I mean, these government schools in these inner cities are a disaster. Government is doing that. Let's have vouchers privatize this. Let's have let, let's have real education, not indoctrination. You know, the schools are run for the benefit of the administrators, of the faculty, of the bureaucrats. They're not run for the benefit of the kids. If you want the schools to be run for the benefit of the kids, you got to get the government out of it. You got to let the parents make the decisions. You got to let them choose where they send their kid. Don't force them to send their kid to the only government school in town and then run the schools for the benefit of the teachers unions. But that's what's going on. So these congressmen who are actually responsible for these high rates of unemployment in the African-American community and they're scolding the Federal Reserve, not doing enough. I mean, and then one of them told Janet Yellen that she should, in her official communiques, she can she'd go out of her way to point out the problems with African-Americans, with, you know, the, the high unemployment rate among, you know, young African-American males that she should. I mean, what does that have to do? She is not there to do this. And she basically was just nodding like, OK, yes, we're going to consider it. She wants to be respectful when she's being asked a ridiculous question question. I mean, why is it, too, that if you're a black congressman or congresswoman, don't you have some white constituents? I mean, just be I mean, if you're black, do you only represent other blacks? I mean, don't you represent everybody? Now, I know some of these black congressmen live in districts, obviously, that are probably heavily black. And maybe that's why you probably tend to have more black representatives in districts that have more blacks in the population. That's probably a true statement. But none of these districts are all black. I mean, Probably most of these districts are still majority white, even though uh, they have, you know, a high number of blacks and other minorities there. So don't these congressmen represent all their constituents? I mean, why does every question they ask boil down to race? What are you going to do, you know, for uh, the black community? How about what are you going to do for America? What are you going to do for the country? I mean, what would happen if one of these white congressmen asked Janet Yellen, what are you going to do for white people? I mean, can you imagine what would happen if somebody asked a question like that? I mean, white men are, are having a tough time in this economy, too. Older white men, I mean, they've seen the biggest uh, 
you know, job losses. They've seen drops in their income. I mean, so white guys, you know, these old white men, I mean, they're, they're having a tough time. But, you know, no one's going to ask about that, right? Look, all of this is ridiculous. The Fed is colorblind. There's nothing they can do to benefit one group over another, right? It's either they are easing or they're tightening. And whatever happens, happens. Even if you believe that they can affect the total level of employment in the economy, they can't, you know, break it down to subsets. They can't, you know, target women over men, young people over versus old people, gay people versus straight people. I mean, what if there was what if there was a homosexual congressman up there? And he said, you know, what are you going to do about unemployment, uh, you know, in the homosexual community? I mean, not, there's nothing you can do, but these guys have to get up there. You know what it actually is? They're all grandstanding. See, I think the reason that a congressman in a black district or a district that's heavily black, the reason that they want to ask this question is because they're using this uh, hearing as a way to basically drum up support from their constituents, right? They just want to, you know, say, what are you going to do about the black uh, unemployment? Because they have a lot of unemployed blacks in their district. And they want to be uh, perceived as trying to do something about the unemployment problem. And so basically Janet Yellen is like the whipping boy. And they're just going to go up there. And it, it's just a forum for them to be there to complain, ironically, about the high unemployment rates that they are responsible for creating with their own maybe well-intentioned uh, laws that have backfired and have created this problem that they're now trying to scapegoat on the Fed. Now, I'm not saying the Fed is not partially to blame for unemployment in general, because they're diverting resources that would otherwise grow the real economy to propping up bubbles and propping up Wall Street. And yes, it is starving Main Street of credit and resources. And so overall, uh, that's hurting jobs. But that is not the reason that the unemployment is being felt disproportionately uh, by young black males. That is completely and 100% the result of government, not the Fed. Congress, whether at the federal level or the state level, that are passing all these laws that make it so hard uh, for some people to get jobs. You know, one of the other things that Janet Yellen actually said, too, during uh, her testimony, she said that it was the Federal Reserve's job to make sure that there are enough jobs available for everybody who wants them. And I'm thinking, how's the Fed supposed to do that? They're supposed to make sure that there are jobs for people who want them? How? The Fed doesn't actually create a job. They don't, they don't, I mean, other than the people that they employ directly, right? They do hire some people. But other than that, how are they supposed to make sure? I mean, this is not the Fed's mission. The Fed can't do this. It doesn't have the tools to do that. What the Fed is supposed to do is basically maintain the purchasing power of the currency. That's really what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to maintain stable prices, and they don't do that. The politicians are trying to get the Fed to do all sorts of things that really shouldn't be done by the Fed at all. In fact, they should if they're going to be done by anybody, they should be done at the congressional level. But, you know, the way the Keynesians would have them do that, they would do stimulus, right? They would have a big government spending program, which, of course, that doesn't work. But the Keynesians believe it works. But because the deficits are already so high and we're already broke, we can't borrow more money. So the politicians want to lean on the central bankers to do something because they can't. But the problem is the central bankers can't do anything either. All they do is make it worse. That's what's going on in Japan. That's what's going on in Europe. All these governments have run up a bunch of debt, so they, they run out of other people's money. They can't borrow anymore, so they pass the baton on their central banks. And the central bankers think, well, if the government's not doing something, well, we're obligated to do something. Well, you know what? What they're doing is harmful, 
right? It's like they should have a hypocritic oath for central bankers to do no harm. And then they wouldn't do anything. But just because the governments can't do something, that doesn't mean the central bankers should do something if what they're doing is actually harmful. And in fact, what the central bankers are doing is taking the politicians off the hook. Because what really needs to be done is cutting government spending. But none of the politicians want to do that. So instead of doing what, what works, they get the Fed or the central bank to monetize the extra spending so they don't have to cut. Because if the Federal Reserve has to monetize it, it means that you've run out of credit in the market. You've run out of legitimate credit, and so you need the central bank to manufacture that out of thin air. But that just makes the problems worse. What would solve the problems is to cut back on government spending, but none of these politicians want to do that because it's, this, it's the programs that they use to buy their votes. That's how they stay in office. You know, speaking about buying votes, I got to change the topic to uh, Bernie uh, Sanders' victory speech. He won the New Hampshire primary, and, you know, his victory speech is very, very scary. And he won. He got like 60 percent of the vote uh, in New Hampshire. He clobbered Hillary Clinton. And, and that's despite the fact that Hillary probably got a lot of votes from women simply because she was a woman. I mean, imagine if Hillary were a guy. I mean, she might not have gotten any votes uh, compared to compared to Bernie Sanders. It shows you how popular that message is. But it also shows you. Why? Right. The founding fathers hated democracy so much. Right. They wrote the Constitution to protect us from the evils of democracy, the evils that are on display in Bernie Sanders victory speech because it's scary stuff. And again, I'm not imputing the motives of Sanders. I, I, you know, he, he he's probably just a misguided guy who actually believes all this nonsense. But what it all boils down to is, you know, vote for me and I'm going to steal for you. I mean, Bernie Sanders says we're going to take all this money away from the rich people who don't deserve it, who've been given a free ride, who haven't paid their fair share. We're going to take all their stuff and give it to you, right? Because you, the people who are voting for me, you deserve this money. You're entitled to it. You deserve a raise. You've been suffering. You've been struggling. We need to take money away from these other lucky people who have been exploiting everybody and gaming the system and rigging the system. We need to take those ill-gotten gains and redistribute it to all you deserving people who are voting for me. And they're just eating it up. Yeah, you know, and the reason that there's such fertile ground for a guy like Sanders is because the economy is a mess. And when the government talks about how great it is, when Obama talks about how great it is, when Yellen talks about how great it is, the average American, it's just even worse because the government is denying a problem that everybody knows exists, but nobody wants to admit how bad things are because, you know, Obama wants to pretend he's doing a great job. So we can't feel your pain like Bill Clinton. You say, I feel your pain. Barack Obama says there is no pain to feel because everything is great. And the people who are in pain, it just pisses them off and it drives them to a socialist like Sanders or to a lesser extent, even that's probably why Trump is popular as a populist promising some quick solutions. Everything's going to be great. Vote for me. You're good. It's going to be fantastic. I promise you. I, everything's going to be, you know, just vote for me and all your problems are going to go away. I don't have to tell you how. Just trust me. And you know what? People believe it because it's so bad that we need somebody entirely different. And he's promising a simple solution to a lot of problems that at least he acknowledges. See, that's why Sanders is getting a lot of votes. And that's why uh, uh, Trump are getting a lot of votes, because they're talking to people about how bad the economy is. And the voters are saying, yeah, 
That's right. In fact, in Trump's victory speech, one of the things he said was, don't believe these phony unemployment numbers. It's not 4.9. It's not 5. It's much higher than that. And that's what I've been saying. Now, for some reason, Trump said it was like 30, 40 percent. Now, I don't know where he's getting those numbers because it's not that high, but it's a lot higher than 5. It's probably higher than 10. And he's right. He said, look, if we had 4 percent unemployment, 5 percent unemployment, I wouldn't have these massive crowds. And he wouldn't. And neither would Bernie Sanders. The fact of the matter is these massive crowds that are that are showing up for the people who are telling the public how bad things are. And they're saying, yeah, they are bad. I know because I'm living it. You're saying what I believe. You're telling the truth. I mean, Hillary Clinton can't talk about how bad the economy is because she's tied herself to Obama's wagon. And Obama has to claim things are great. So Hillary can't talk about how, how bad things are because that would be a negative for Obama. So she has to pretend everything is great, which is probably one of the reasons that nobody trusts her, because she's saying that the economy's improved and people know that it hasn't improved. But of course, the solution isn't theft, which is all really Bernie Sanders is promising, is to steal money and divvy it up among the people who vote for him. But that's how they see it as their only solution. Now, I wanted to make one you know, comment about Donald Trump just to wrap this uh, podcast up. But I was listening to an interview with John Sununu, who was the governor of New Hampshire, and so he was commenting on the race. And this is before we knew the, the outcome, although the polls, you know, all the polls had Trump way ahead and he basically, you know, clobbered everybody. Apparently, a few more people have dropped out. I think Chris Christie is out and Fiorina is out. You know, Rand dropped out last week. So they're kind of, you know, dropping like fry, flies right now, but there's still a pretty, pretty big field left. But I'm listening to Sununu, who is very anti-Trump. And, uh, you know, he's supporting probably Kasich or, or maybe, you know, maybe he was supporting um, uh, Christie. I mean, he said it was one of the governors, one of the four. So it could be Bush that he's supporting. But he said it was one of the one of the governors that was was in the race. But he's very anti-Trump. And one of the things that he said that disqualifies Trump, right, from being president, he went over a bunch of businesses that Donald Trump started that failed. And there was a, he, he, there was a bunch of them. One of them was Trump Airline. I forget all the other ones. I mean, we know about the casinos that failed. And he said, do you really want a president, somebody to be president, who has had all these companies fail? I mean, did, would, is that the kind of person that you want to be president? And you know what I'm thinking? Hell yeah. I mean, not that I'm endorsing Trump. And I've got a lot of problems with some of the things Trump says. And there are a lot of things he says that I agree with. But the fact that Donald Trump, or anybody else for that matter, has been a businessman and has experienced failure and has learned from failure, that's the kind of guy I want as president. Because the problem with government is nobody in government knows how to deal with failure. And almost everything they do is a failure. You see, when a private citizen like Donald Trump fails, right, they A, they learn from their mistakes. But if Donald Trump starts a business, let's say it was Trump Airline, and it's losing money. It's not working. He says, okay, this isn't working. I'm going to stop doing it. I'm going to stop losing money. I'm going to close this down. I'm going to cut my losses, and I'm going to try to find something that does work. I mean, how many companies has Trump started that succeeded? I mean, look at how much money he's probably made off The Apprentice, right? I mean, every idea doesn't work, right? You have to, you know, fail. It's like if you want to hit home runs, you're probably going to strike out when you're when you're going for a home run, right? Uh, Babe Ruth led the league in home runs, but he led the league in strikeouts. But you wouldn't want to disqualify him from your lineup because of his strikeouts. You got to look at the home runs, right? So a businessman is going to have businesses that succeed and businesses that fail. 
But the important lessons that you learn also from failure is like when something doesn't work, you stop doing it. See, the problem with government is if something doesn't work, they never stop doing it. We have government programs that have been around for 100 years and they've never worked and they're still here. The government doesn't know how to admit that something doesn't work. Same thing with the Federal Reserve. They do QE1, it doesn't work, do QE2. That doesn't work, do QE3. Nobody in government can admit they've made a mistake. At least Donald Trump has a lot of mistakes. He's admitted them and he's done something about them. Look, if the government creates a program, right, to fight poverty and the result of the program is that poverty goes up, Do they eliminate the program? No, they just give it more money. They say, okay, we just need to fund it with additional resources. They never will start something, see it fail, and then shut it down. We need people with experience at failure to be in government because everything the government does is a failure. And we need people to recognize that so that they can stop doing it, so they can shut down these departments, so they can shut down these agencies that don't work instead of funding them in perpetuity because they can never admit that they're wrong and they never learn from their mistakes. Attention listeners, I have an urgent message for you. We're in the middle of a war. The global conflict is destroying the lives of millions without a single bomb being dropped. It's called the International Currency War, and your bank account has been drafted to fight. The victims in this conflict are our currencies, the dollar, the euro, the yen, the pound. They are all heading to zero as irresponsible central banks compete to see who can print the most the fastest. But there's one form of money politicians and central banks can't destroy, gold. Today, it's more important than ever to understand the value of gold in your portfolio and to keep a close eye on major market developments. Subscribe to my monthly video cast and you'll be the first to hear my latest analysis on gold investing and the currency wars. Visit goldvideocast.com right now to subscribe for free. I call the dot-com bust, then the housing bust, and I advise clients to diversify into foreign equities and hard assets while the rest of Wall Street laughed at me. Now I want to keep you up to date on the next crisis that is brewing. My gold video cast also includes personal interviews I've conducted with other contrarian investors like Jim Rickards and Axel Merck. Gold has gone up 256% since 2003, but it has a lot further to go. Don't miss the rally. You can prosper during this time of currency wars, but only if you stay educated. Get a free subscription to my gold video cast at goldvideocast.com. That's goldvideocast.com. There's so much factually incorrect information and underreporting by legacy media today. Shouldn't there be truth in media? Well, there is truth in media. Recently, a novel thought is now a reality with truthinmedia.com. Led by award-winning journalist Ben Swan, truthinmedia.com is the source for uninfluenced, reliable, fearless news where journalists pursue real questions, not conspiracies. Make truthinmedia.com your default browser's homepage today and get breaking news and commentary that speaks the truth to power. It's also where you can tune into the Peter Schiff Show every week. Visit truthinmedia.com today. That's truthinmedia.com. Access the Truth in Media RS feed by visiting truthinmedia.com forward slash feed. 